and must be removed from this council. We will wait until... Now! No dictator, no invader can hold an imprisoned population by force of arms forever. There is no greater power in the universe than the need for freedom. Against that power, governments and tyrants and armies cannot stand. The Centauri learned this lesson once. We will teach it to them again. Though it take a thousand years, we will be free. Tell the other rangers, the ambassadors, everyone in this army of light, that Babylon 5 stands with you. Tell them, tell them that from this place we will deliver notice to the parliaments of conquerors that a line has been drawn against the darkness. And we will hold that line, no matter to save a race from extinction. The line has been drawn. Captain Sheridan must awaken an ancient power. Are you mad? On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone. Outside the break house. out there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast a part of the front row network and npr community voices we are here with newbies who are watching babylon 5 for the first time and first ones who have watched babylon 5 a little bit too much and we are three episodes away from the end of season two so we're here today to talk about the long twilight struggle which is not really a lore episode nothing much goes on so it should be a quick talk for those who are watching on roku you're in the right place because uh, it's in the right order. So Divided Loyalties was last week and Long Twilight Struggle is this week. If you're watching on Tubi, eh, not so much. So as always, I do call out the episodes the week before. So next week will become The Inquisitor, followed by The Fall of Night. I'm Scott and with me is... Emily. Justin. Mike. Kevin. Nicole. Andrew. Jesse. And Mike. Mark your calendars now on May 21 we will be doing our live season two recap show and if watch that live you'll need to subscribe to our youtube channel if you're listening to the podcast version the link is down below and also if you're on the youtube already subscribed make sure you hit that notify button so you can be sure to be told when we do go live so unless something changes may 21 will be the live season two recap along with that i am running the season two 
best episode bracket, just like we did with season one. And you can find that over on our Twitter account. Again, link down below. So be sure to vote for your favorite episodes. Right now, we are in, I believe, round two or three. And the bracket is on our Twitter account. So go check it out there. Along with that, please make sure you check out all of our social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We also have our Patreon if you want to help us grow there. Everyone who joins the Patreon gets involved in our Discord server, which is getting a lot of activity now, especially our Beyond the Rim portion. A lot of people are talking spoilers over there, and the newbies are not in that one. And also, if you can go all the way, our Grey Council members are our producers, and you can see a list of our producers down in the show notes below. Finally, the most important thing you can do for us is to leave a review either on apple podcast audible spotify wherever you can leave a review please do and we got one in here guys from the united kingdom and it is a five star so thank you for that this comes from one equal temper and now for a review their quote not mine as a first one who watched the show as it aired in the 90s this awesome podcast has me veering constantly between how dare you and oh that never occurred to me but it always is entertaining, and I generally can't wait for the reaction from the end of season two onwards. James, who is, as he says, one of the 10 people who listen to us in the UK. And as I joked a few weeks ago, we are number two in TV reviews in the UK. So I'm assuming it's like 10 people, but you know, maybe more than that. We'll see. But thank you, James, one equal temper for giving us a review and also being one of those listeners who's making us one of the top TV review podcasts. In the United Kingdom, we appreciate it. We're going to dive in. We have a synopsis from Mike for Long Twilight Struggle. Mike. While the crew of B-5 grapples with space boredom, the ambassadors find themselves in a moment of quiet contemplation. Londo Malari discovers the error of his ways. Ambassador Delenn hooks up with Kosh. The Vorlands decide the shadows are right, and that's it. Okay, now let's go to somebody who actually did their homework and maybe watch the episode. Justin, what's your synopsis? Well, what had happened was the Narn fleet pulls a Leroy Jenkins on the Centauri shipping base, and it leads to the destruction <laughs> of the Narn homeworld and the end of the war. Good shit, right? <laughs> Meanwhile, the B-5 version of Unicron comes back and forges an alliance with Sheridan for the long twilight struggle to come. See what I did there? Finally, Sheridan takes a cue from the Beatles when he realizes he's going to get by with a little help from his friends. Cut to credits. Thanks for listening, everybody. Leroy! <laughs> I'm assuming, since this is a rather big episode, that a lot of you listening are listening for the first time, because that's usually what happens when we have a bigger episode. So how this works is our newbies are going to give their first impressions. Then we're going to go to our first ones who have watched the whole show, and they're going to give us our first impressions. Then we're going to talk about the episode, and then we'll have the newbies give their questions and predictions about what they think is going to happen next. We will then kick them out, and then the first ones will stay after the credits and talk about all those spoilers that come up now and in the future. So we'll go to first impressions for our newbies, and let's go to Emily first. First impressions on the long Twilight struggle. Fuck you, Londo. <laughs> <laughs> that pretty much sums up my thoughts on the entire episode. Like, seriously, we knew he was going down a crappy path, and this one just, ugh. So mad, so angry. I'm starting, well, I didn't have a lot of hope he'd turn it around, but after this one, I like, yeah, I'm not sure if he can. I do love every time somebody's like, sooner or later, 
Londo's gonna see the air in his ways. I'm just like, keep watching. Keep nah. watching. He's too far gone at this point. Enjoy the ride. Nicole, first impressions. So before I do that, I just want to piggyback on something you said, Emily, about how he's too far gone. The and the when he came in and made all those demands, that infuriated me. I was yelling at the computer or the screen. But anyways, this was a really big episode, I think. Um, we saw the end of the Centauri Narn war. Um, there was a lot of shadiness going on. Shady count was high in this one. I will say the one thing that really got me was some of the acting, like especially from Jakar, like my heart was breaking for him in this episode and just the whole the whole interactions with him, with Sheridan and with, you know, the his uncle. It was just really stellar, stellar performances. Um, And even Lando being a dick, he was really good, too. Like they're just performances were so good. And I have to say, um, I really, really am like on the Sheridan train now after this episode, something switched for me today with him. And I don't know what it is. I still love Sinclair. Don't get me wrong, but I've now accepted Sheridan and I do like him. And I feel like this was a big, even though he wasn't the focal point of this episode, I feel like maybe this episode is an arc or like a, a turning point for him that he's going to be, his character is about to explode. So I just, I don't know. I mean, obviously this was a harder episode because of so much loss and devastation and shadiness, but I thought it was really good. And I think that this is going to be something that kind of sparks and like takes us to the next level. And you've been saying, Scott, that it's just this full steam ahead. And I think this episode was literally the pedal to the metal. This was it. This was the catapult. So uh, good episode. Great episode. Before Long Twilight Struggle came out, JMS put this in the Usenets. Hell, in some ways, when compared with Struggle, the coming of shadows is like comedy in which nothing much happens. So even JMS is like, yeah, it's getting a little more impactful now. Much like a master driver. Ha 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 ha. Andrew, first impressions. Uh, I like that it kind of seems like it's like everything's starting to finally fall into place for uh, this great war that we've been hearing about in the intro for these, this entire season. And I took note of a couple of characters from almost an entire season's worth of episodes coming back and... Uh, it seems like they're still relevant. As the intro says, this was the year that the Great War came upon us all. Not that it was here all year, but it came upon us all this year. <laughs> Jesse, first impressions. Yeah, I mean, everybody has kind of said it. Like, Lando's a dick. Like, I, <laughs> it's so funny how how in season one, I thought Jakar was the bad guy and Lando, you know, was my favorite. And then here we are, I'm in a, I'm in an episode watching Jakar where I want to hug him. And then it's like, it's so sad because, you know, like Nicole said, during the, the uh, meeting of the, all the ambassadors and the non-aligned, what is it? Help. The league of non-aligned worlds. Yep. Thank you. Um, they, you know, is Londo is screaming at them. Um, if I was Sheridan, I, I would have been like, you can sit the fuck down and get the fuck out. Like you're not gonna you're not making demands on my on my ship, so um, yeah, it was it was interesting and it was um, yeah, I liked it. And Justin, first impressions. I mean, to to borrow from Pierce Brown again, uh, shit escalates, right? Um, yeah, fuck Londo, but also fuck Rifa. That motherfucker pulled a Munich cord, ripped up every fucking treaty, and nuked a planet. Fuck that guy. Um, now. Again, I don't I don't really want to go pro Londo here, but 
you can tell he's struggling with his emotions with this because he's he fights Rifa on even a, the fight on the first place. You can see the disgust in his face on the flagship. And then even dealing as heartbreaking as that whole council scene was, which we'll get into that. That's some of the best acting I've ever seen in the entire series so far. But that whole council scene, you can even look on his face. He does not like what he's doing. But again, it's that's where my sympathy with him ends because he made his bed. He has to fucking sleep in it now. And... So whatever end up happening with Londo, you know, long term, he has to deal with the repercussions of his actions, even though you can even tell he doesn't want to have anything to do with the shadows anymore. He doesn't he I think he could probably take back a lot of what he's done if he could, but you can't. So guess what, Londo? You just have to deal with it. So glad to see uh, Crawlback or Draw. Sorry. So glad to see Drawback. Um that's a character. Is that the same actor? No, it's not. So it's, this is the the actor who originally played Drawl is still a, a a supporting actor. He does stuff on B five, but he was in a theater production when this episode was re- produced. So they had to go with a different actor. That's what I thought. Like I didn't know if they de-aged him because even he says in the episode, "I'm like thirty years younger now." So I didn't know if it was the I didn't have time to go back and check the previous episode, but I didn't know if it was the same actor or if they just de-aged him a little bit. But um that was their excuse then, was he was de-aged, but really it's a different actor. Yeah. But um and then a name I've been waiting to hear, Zathras. Ha! I'm glad somebody caught it. <laughs> I wrote that down too. So glad, so glad to hear that name again. And now we kind of see where Zathras starts to work his way into the story. The yes. plot thickens. Zathras. That is all for now. I recognize that some of our newbies aren't sci-fi fans, and some people who listen to us may not be sci-fi fans. So, uh, Justin, you mentioned nuking the planet. I just want to go into real quick what a mass driver is. So a mass driver is exactly what it sounds like. It takes the mass of an asteroid and throws it at a planet. So what they are doing, they are not launching torpedoes or nukes. They are taking asteroids from space and tossing them at the planet. So it's kind of actually what happened in the expanse. If you read or watch yeah. the expanse, kind of same idea. I wonder if they got it from here. It's still fucking horrible. Whatever. It oh, is. it's even worse. I would think. Yeah. And it only took one asteroid to kill the dinosaurs. So. Exactly. And they just, started... and they were hurling dozens of them. So. Yep. Yep. So that's what a mass driver is. And for those playing the home game. Okay. But I just used, I just used nuking as a simple. Oh no, I wasn't questioning your on, knowledge. So. I'm just, I know there are some people who probably don't know what that is. So I was yeah. just, Go into more detail. So uh, let's go to our first ones now. Again, these are folks who have watched the entire series at least once or twice, if not 100 times. Mike, first impressions on Long Twilight Struggle? Uh, pretty boring episode overall. I know. It's terrible, isn't uh, it? It's not a lot going on in it. Uh, no, it's uh, it's absolutely fantastic. What else can you say? Top-notch acting all around. Uh, and we get William Morgan Shepard back for the second time without a butthole on his head this time. Uh <laughs> and uh i wonder did any of you catch that that's who that was i'm curious there are a lot of nodding heads okay uh and uh yeah just it, it like justin and others have said everything's starting to come together and it full steam ahead so it's it's great i love shepherd because that voice even if he's behind heavy makeup his voice is just i love it the thing that always reminds me of is um he played the villain on elvira that movie from the 80s and 
that voice from then on out has been grained in my head because I watched that when I was a young kid. And his son's the same way. His son has an amazing voice. Yeah. Are we talking about just Ed? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah, Mark Shepard is one of my favorite actors. Jakar's Jakar's uncle, the war leader. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who played the Soul Hunter in episode two. Or episode one. Yes, episode two. Okay. Yep, that's a hint the butthole. Okay, let's go to Kevin. First impressions. The the scene of Londo looking out the window at the Narn homeworld is uh, pretty powerful. You know, his the look on his face is both, um, you know, I mean, no sympathy whatsoever for Londo, but it is pained and it is, I wish we weren't here almost, but it's it's too late, man. You made your bed and now you are destroying an entire world over your your need for uh for conquest. Um and then the the scene in the council chamber is just it's amazing. It's it's an iconic um I will I will say this when we when we spoke to Peter uh after the newbies had left, he he did talk about this scene and how um you know it was it it was uh it, one to film uh big time uh f- fun episode to film for them because it was uh especially for him um it definitely shows his acting ability and yeah you you really feel for for jakar through this um you really wish that his you know his favorite family member justin had uh, listened to him but not so much yeah, this is an amazing episode. Blake, first impressions. So much like Kevin, one of the reasons this episode is amongst my favorites is the range of acting that it shows, particularly with uh, Peter and with uh, Andre Katsoulis. And we've seen Katsoulis in other shows and sci-fi and other shows in general, and his acting ability, either one of those two can command a screen anytime they're on it. But even thinking about with Londo, you've mentioned that scene with him on the ship watching the destruction. The ability, there was no lines in that. There was no dialogue at all. He had to act that out simply by the looks on his face and the physicality of that moment with how he was reacting. And, you know, that's not the easiest thing to do. And he did that so well. And the same thing in the council chamber when Jakar was giving that last impassioned speech. And you could see those looks on his face without a word of dialogue from Londo's mouth and could see what he was thinking. To me, this is one of the most powerful episodes with the acting in the entire series. There's there's one maybe that tops it that we'll get to later um, as far as, you know, the especially the dynamic with these two actors and these two characters together. But this right here, I think, is when the show hit a high point. The episode you just referenced was also referenced by Peter in our Beyond the Rim interview section, which yeah. is why you newbies still can't listen to it because there's <laughs> other stuff to come. <laughs> yeah. You. This is one of my favorite episodes as well. It's one of the highest ranked episodes in the series. And um, I know a lot of people say Coming of Shadows is a huge episode for season two. And it is. And actually, this Coming of Shadows is rated number one in the Lurker's Guide uh, survey. But this one is really up there. It's not my favorite episode of the season, though. We haven't gotten there yet. But it's really, really high up there. Uh, a couple of things I want to throw out this, uh, the, the long twilight struggle is actually taken from a quote from JFK and it reads now the trumpet summons us again, not as a call to bear arms, though arms we need not as a call to battle though in battle we are, but as a call to bear the burdens of a long twilight struggle year end and year out rejoicing in hope, patience and tribulation, a struggle against the common enemies of man, tyranny, poverty, 
disease, and war itself. Which, if that doesn't outline what B5 is all about, uh, I don't know what does. It also is actually the name of one of the best board games about the Cold War that exists. It's Twilight Struggle. Nice. So, a very, a very interesting way to use that phrase among many different lines. A couple other things I want to throw out. Uh, Blake, you hit on the the dynamic between Peter Jurisic and Andreas Katsoulis, which is amazing. Uh, I also love that Delenn is still getting a lot more to do, not just with the Sheridan dynamic, although that's playing out as well, but just Delenn, Mira Furlan is getting a lot to chew on, and I really appreciate that. Along with that, too, you guys are continuing to talk about the Londo decline, which obviously it's there, uh, and that scene with him watching Narn fall is really dramatic. But the one question I have for all of you, and this is not a spoiler because I'm not going to tell you which way it goes. We heard a few episodes ago that Londo was done working with Mr. Morton. And we also heard that Lord Rifa was working with Mr. Morton. So my question to all of you is, do you think that Londo actually had to reach out to Mr. Morton to get the shadows to show up where they did? Or was it just like, your friends are going to be there and there's nothing you can do about it? How do you read that? Um, I read it as setting Londo up because they were going to show up one way or the other and Rifa's putting him on the spot to make a decision. And if he chooses wrong, Rifa's going to come after him. I agree. Rifa seems like that kind of backstabbing dick, to be honest. So yeah. to that point, you think Londo did reach out to Mr. Morton? Yeah. I do. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I, I'll go, I'll go the other way. I don't, I think, you know, I think that, yeah, no, I'll say no. That the shadows were already going to be there because Rifa asked them and yeah. Londo had well, no control. Well, no, I think that because Rifa, maybe it was just an act like Emily was saying, but the fact that Rifa had to beg him to send his forces to, you know, defend this planet. Did he beg him? Me, I, uh, he said your friends sounded like it. We'll have your friends there. It's just, it just says, well, no, but say we need your forces. We need mm-hmm. your people there in order like this attack can't take place unless right. you're involved. So that was maybe Rifa trying to maybe push Wando to make the right choice. But yeah, I know. I don't know. I think, I think Wando's got more pull with Morton than, than Rifa does at this point, but I could be wrong. And since Rifa specifically refers to them as Londo's forces, like mm-hmm. trying Londo's friends. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying to drive home that connection. So Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I I think Emily was right on the Rifa kind of framing him and trying to set it up on him, but I think maybe he didn't do it. I think Rifa probably had it already planned out because they already had everything. They already had everyone in position. They already had everything ready to go. And then he was like, "We need your friends to be there or whatever." So I think maybe Rifa did reach out and have it planned ahead of time, and maybe Londo didn't. But also I could see where Rifa probably would have framed Londo and tried to put it back on him um, and also could have been testing him to see if he would reach out and Morton maybe would have told him. I don't know. Like, I don't know what their dynamic is, but I do think that like if Londo didn't agree to do it, then Rifa would have basically stabbed Londo in the back and, and did something to him to get him ousted or something. Justin, Jesse, I'm going to wrap up my first impressions and I'll just dive into you guys. Um Half of you are wrong and half of you are right. We'll see. Uh, Along with that, the last thing I want to hit on real quick is the dynamic again, Jakar and Londo and Jesse, you pointed out one of the things I love the most about showing Babylon 5 to somebody for the first time is in the gathering, 
you are told flat out Jakar is the mustache twirling bad guy and mm-hmm. our we are supposed to hate him beep beep and Londo is the buffoon who is just there because his dying race says he has to be there because he has nowhere else to be so he is a dying ambassador and his race is a dying people and I just love how JMS sets you up like that and then says now let's do something different I, I love the I love the character changes and how they're developed. It's it's so much fun. All right, let's go ahead and dive into the general discussion. Justin, where do you want to go first? Well, I was just going to ask as a follow-up to kind of the previous conversation, what does Rifa have to gain by propping up Londo? You can tell they're becoming rivals. And to me, this is jumping into questions and predictions territory, but they're eventually going to come to a head. And you know, where it's going to be only one of them, I think, is going to survive. And I, I just don't see where Rifa, what what Rifa gains by giving Londo the credit for the destruction of the Narn fleet. Like, to me, it just doesn't make sense. So I guess I go back to the point of, I think Rifa honestly had to almost beg Londo to get the Shadows involved, even though Rifa is in contact with more than the Shadows himself. But again... I'm uh, I'm either on the right side of the fence or the wrong side of the fence. We'll find out beyond the rim. I see it as, to Justin's point, if Chatter gets back to B5, it undercuts Londo's position. Jesse, what do you got? And so I guess just to play off of that, I think that Reva had his out. If shit would have gone sideways, it would have been Londo's fault. And that's kind of exactly how I saw it. I could be completely wrong, but the whole time it looked like it was a, you know, you do this and you get Morden involved and blah, blah. But I honestly don't think that Morden's that picky. Like if, if Rifa wanted a hold of Morden, I think Rifa easily could have gotten a hold of him and done the exact same thing that Londo did. So I don't know without Londo, I, I would assume it would have still happened the way it did, but with Londo, they just, they had an out. If shit, if shit goes bad, look what Londo did. You know, if shit goes good, then look what Rifa did. So yeah. Rifa's trying to take all the power and none of the responsibility of it. Right, right. Yeah, okay. I can see that. Remember, Rifa doesn't care. He flat out said it when the Emperor died. I'm okay with being damned because we're going to get what we want. He doesn't care. And I also think that what Rifa has to gain is that he'll become Emperor, basically, is what he wants. He wants to be in charge. And if you notice, too, when Londo was watching TV in his room, they were talking about on the news, like about how, you know, the Centauri were dancing in the streets and all this, but at the very end, they said they were going to start taking over um, little planets adjacent to Narn. And Londo looked like, wait, what? So Londo realized, I think at that point he fucked up because he didn't know anything about that plan. And that wasn't necessarily in the plan. So his face kind of read like, uh, excuse me, you know? So I think Rifa is making a power play and he was just using Londo as a pawn. That makes sense because I think, I mean, really let's, let's just call it what it is. Rifa is de facto in control of the Republic. You have an emperor as a figurehead, but Rifa's calling shots and they're setting up the emperor to do all the little goodwill stuff with the people, but it's Rifa sitting in the chair as we saw in the episode. So and this is a good point to point out that we did find out who the new emperor is now too, Emperor Cartesia. Let's real quick take a sidetrack and talk about Epsilon Three, Drawl, Delin, Sheridan, and the Rangers. 
Nicole. So I really loved that whole plot of that whole like interaction. Um, First of all, I thought it was hilarious that like Sheridan was in the shower and he comes out and there's just like a vision of a man in his room. Like, should I come back when you're dressed? (laughs) That kind of thing. But Sheridan was actually excited to like interact with him and meet him. And I thought that was really cool. And um, it was funny because when Delenn stopped him, he, she was like, I was in a hurry. She goes, yeah, I know. He came to me too. like, get your head out of your ass. I already know, you know? So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and when they went down there to go see him, oh, I also want to point out Garibaldi didn't want them to go. He thought it was a trick. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny, but, um, I know Ivanova kind of confirmed it was from that planet. So, but when they went down there and um, Sheridan goes, I don't think I ever want to leave. I thought that was kind of cool. But my favorite part of that whole interaction, well, second favorite part, was when Delenn says, abs are fracking lootly, damn it. <laughs> and she said that she was studying the way he used language and wanted to know if he approved. And he said, we'll talk about that later. I also really enjoyed um, the interaction between uh, Jeral and Sheridan. And he really like knew everything about Sheridan. Like he was like, this is, he pointed out all these things about him. And even, you know, Sheridan's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, yes, you do. And, you know, form the alliance with him. I thought that was like a crucial thing because I know that like Earth and like all these people are going to want that power. And this guy chose Sheridan to make the alliance with, uh, to battle, I guess, the shadows that are coming. So I just thought that whole scene was awesome. And it was fun it was kind of lighthearted, but it was also kind of serious. And I thought it was a big turning point. Two quick points on that. We were talking a lot about how there's some scenes that don't make sense in the original HBO Max cut or the 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 order. And on Tubi, it still doesn't make sense. And this is one of the major ones. And this is one of the last ones where if you're watching in different orders, it gets a little wonky. So Delin laughed at that uh, or made that joke about absolutely. She heard that. In the previous episode, unless you watch the HBO Max or the Tubi cut, because on that one, Divided Loyalties comes after this episode. So that's where things get a little wonky, depending on what viewing order you got. The other thing I wanted to throw out there is I just love the little fun things that JMS does with his script. You mentioned the shower scene. If you watch that scene, the um, uh, Corman or whatever his last name is or first name is says, uh, get a hold of Ivanova. And then we cut to a quarters and we see a uniform and we see a shower and we're like, oh, we're going to get an Ivanova shower scene. And then we see the flabby back of John Sheridan. I was like, JMS, I love you. You just throw stuff at the wall. It's great. Emily, what do you got? Um, I thought it was hilarious that the first time draw contact Sheridan, he's getting out of the shower and is like dripping wet and he's just standing there and has this look like, yeah, I'd really like to put some clothes on. And Jarl's like, oh, would you like to get dressed? And he's like, by this time, no, it's fine. Because you just keep talking. Like, the man just keeps talking. Um, but I think the part I really enjoyed with the whole ranger aspect of it was Sheridan realizing just how much Garibaldi knows. Like, because he can kind of come across as like a bumbling goofus. But this guy actually knows what's going on in this on the station. And like the bumblingness seems like kind of an act. So people don't realize just how competent he might be. Cause then he could become a target for those trying to like undercut security at the station. But I thought it was kind of funny when Sheridan was like, wait, you've known about this for how long? <laughs> I still love the fact that Sheridan likes to collect conspiracies and the dude keeps having stuff fly over his head. It's cute. Justin, what do you got? 
I mean, that's also pretty much what I was going to say that I think that the fact that Sheridan realizes Garibaldi knows a lot more than he does about what's going on around the station is absolutely perfect. And the fact that you're starting to see not only, because I think previously we only saw human Rangers and now we're seeing Minbari Rangers. And I'm curious to see, um, again, diving a little bit into questions and prediction territory, are we going to start to see some of the Narn, um, some of the Narn refugees become Rangers too? At least that's kind of where I'm hoping it goes. But, you know, the fact that, you know, Draw knows all and sees all and is going to basically, I think, feed, you know, Sheridan and the Ranger Army a lot of intelligence in terms of what's going on out there in the universe is going to be very, very important going forward in the series. But I, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see where the whole thing with Epsilon 3 goes. I think that's going to become a crucial factor here going forward. Kevin? I wanted to talk about the actor that plays Drawl in this episode because you want to talk about a voice. And while I agree with you that W. Morgan Shepard has an incredible voice, you know, so does John Shuck. And he's incredibly good in this part. Uh, all respect to the first actor that played the part. Um, I'm kind of glad that that this went the way that it did because it made a lot of sense um, that, uh, you know, the Epsilon three machine, you know, extends life. So he'd probably look younger. And um, so that all makes sense, but it definitely gives a good opportunity for um, in particular, two very good guest actors in this, in this particular episode that really drove um, the, the acting with it along with, you know, what we've already talked about with both Peter Jersek and uh, Andreas Katsalas. I've always liked W. Morgan Shepard's uh, acting. He played a serial killer in the first MacGyver show and was very good in that. So uh, I always enjoy seeing him. Nicole. So I thought the scene at the end with the Rangers uh, and Sheridan finding out basically that they exist and all that stuff was pretty cool. And one thing I noticed was, um, yeah, there was like Mimbari human, but uh, why am I blinking? Uh, Rangers? Kosh was there. Kosh was there. Um, So I'm assuming Kosh is in on it. But what it made me think of too was a couple episodes ago when Kosh said he would teach Sheridan, right? So um, when Delenn said she's also going to give him authority over the Rangers because she's been leading them and then Kosh choosing to teach Sheridan a couple episodes before, I'm kind of wondering, like, I feel like Sinclair or Sinclair, I feel like Sheridan was chosen to kind of like lead this group and lead the charge to battle the the shadows so um it was really cool like i was just kind of having some light bulbs during that scene you know just um hearing you know well first of all garibaldi being on the inside that was funny emily how you're like wait what you knew about this Uh, that was good but um i i just thought it was really interesting and i almost wonder if it's connected um that you know kosh had agreed to teach Sheridan because he said he was going to battle even if he died to to take care of this or whatever. And then Delenn also like kind of a, not relinquishing control, but like sharing control of the Rangers with him. So I just thought that was kind of cool. And I'm in my head, my questions and predictions were going off uh, with that because I felt like that was a significant moment. Blake. Well, and 
you think about that, Nicole, and think about the reference back to that dream sequence with Sheridan from several episodes back with you or the hand. You know, you we said up front, you know, that dream sequence to get explained as we went through the season. And this could connect. This is one of the theories that connects back to that dream sequence is, you know, Sheridan is being given partial control over the Rangers with Delint. And you think about that setup. So it, it all comes back. This Everything links back to some of those pieces. So, Justin. Now, I know that they claim B5 is neutral territory, but is it really? Because we now have had two major characters who... Sheridan went to Jakar and said, whatever resources, contacts I have, I will help you retake your homeworld. And even Franklin was feeding Jakar intelligence he was hearing from the medbay. So you can definitely tell that a lot of people on Babylon 5 are rightfully on the side of the Narns. And I think that's going to prove to be a bigger plot point, hopefully later on with, you know, them supporting the Narns over the Centauri's. Well, and this goes back a lot farther than that, even too, Justin. They were sending supplies to the yeah. Narn. So this is... And, of course, helping all the refugees on board yep. and everything yep. like that. So uh, it just seems... It's just uh, definitely something that, you know... Of course, I think Londo's going to have a bitch fit about it, but they're making the right moves. Audio podcast, Blake. Audio podcast. Nicole. Also, too, this made me think of something else. I feel like uh, going back to my point about Sheridan being chosen, I feel like each of the alien races kind of chooses a human like the Mimbari have chosen Sinclair. Um, it seems the Vorlons have chosen Lita Alexander. I think she's going to come back at some point. And I feel like Sheridan is now being chosen as well. And I feel like I don't know, maybe there's a connection between all of them. Maybe there's a connection or a reason why, but I, I almost feel like each human is there's like been it's like they're in the inner circle, like they're going to get wisdom and knowledge from these alien races that other people can't get because they're chosen. And I could be completely wrong, but I feel like there are specific people like, yes, Garibaldi may know more. But I don't think he'll ever have the same access as some of the stuff from like Kosh or Delenn as Sheridan Wood, for example, or Sinclair. So I don't know. That was just something else I picked up on. And it was just something I thought was notable to to bring up because um, I do feel like like there's specific humans that are chosen for bigger role, like bigger roles in, in the universe. And it was just really interesting to me. Um kind of, you know, seeing how everyone's kind of playing their part, but like, I feel like specific people are chosen and put into those places. So again, I could be wrong. I'll find out in two years, but I just, that made me think of that, uh, this discussion and just the episode. Kevin. This episode was directed by uh, an, a cinematographer, uh, John C. Flynn. And I think it's worth noting that uh, particularly the scene where Londo is looking out the window at the Narn homeworld, but uh, other places in the episode too, you can really tell that it was it was particularly well done and well shot because of the fact that it was done by somebody who has the kind of skill set that that John C. Flynn has. It was uh, particularly well executed in my mind. Andrew, sort of in the same vein as. Uh, the the cinematography thing. One thing I wanted to point out was in the ambassador meeting. Uh, there's a frame, a shot where Londo is framed uh, on one side, but then all the other uh, ambassadors are on the other. Kind of, like that kind of just perfectly illustrates the divide between 
uh, like what's supposed to be neutral territory and like kind of just shows that Londo is kind of alone in this whole cause now. Nicole. And something that Andrew just said made me think of something in that scene, too, is that when first of all, you could tell Sheridan was pissed, like he did not appreciate the way that Londo was talking to him or anybody. But what I really loved was how he stood up and like held his ground. And then Delenn jumped up right away and was like, and the Mambari will back him up. And I was waiting to see like everyone else start standing up and saying, we'll back him up. We'll back him up. That didn't happen. But I think that sentiment was made very clear that like. You done fucked up, Londo, and the Centauris are on the shit list. So I thought that was really good. Like thing that Andrew just pointed out, like it just made it very clear. You can see where people stand on this situation. I think some of that, though, Nicole, is when you think about the League of Non-Aligned Worlds, there's only two other powers in that room who could stand up there and tell the Centauri to set the fuck down. Right. Yeah. And, And that's the Mimbari and the Vorlons. Look at it from the rest of the league, though. I mean, who's to stop the Centauri from going for one of them next? Yeah, the league. Can't so they're not going to stand up. Yeah. yeah, they can't take that chance that the Centauri aren't going to turn on them. Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. And and the one guy who has like the tusk face thing, you can see he was just like shaking his head, and like you could tell they were all like, "Fuck this guy." But I thought it was good that like you know yeah. pe- they made it clear that it, Sheridan wasn't alone on this. I think we got a good idea of how, I don't want to say insignificant, but insignificant the league is. I mean, look at the Marcab. We found out the Marcab got completely wiped off the face of the galaxy a few weeks ago, and they only had 2 billion people. We have 7 billion people right now on the planet. So the league aliens are much smaller races than the big one sitting at that big table, without a doubt. Justin. Yeah, I mean, I... 100% agree with uh, with what Nicole and everyone else was saying, but I just, I honestly can't wait to, as much as I love you all, I can't wait to be done with this series because I can't wait to go back and, you know, listen to all of the discussions about, like, I'm watching this, I made notes about how hard was this scene to film, that council scene for everybody, like, how how difficult that must have been for the actors involved. But then again, like even Peter, you had said, had a lot of fun with it because he really got to like, you know, blow out his character or whatever. But what was Andreas? What was everyone else thinking during this scene? Like, it's just something that moved me very powerfully. So I can't wait to kind of go back behind the scenes and kind of learn more about that. Only about a year and a half to go, Justin. You'll be fine. Kevin. I will share this, you know, Andreas Katsalas said that the the whole the whole scene gives him goosebumps, and he said that it was it was like having your whole identity erased. And he just the power dynamic, you know, you can tell how much uh, in this episode that it shifts. Well, yeah, just 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 sitting and watching him just sit there with his head down, and as Londo is just berating over him, and he's. It like I said, the whole thing just really got me. And again, yeah, you're 100 percent right. Like he got stripped of his of his ambassadorship. He's citizen Jakar now. Where does he go from there? Um, who is he now? And it's it's just such an incredible scene that is going to ripple throughout the rest of the series. You know, that, and that scene with Sheridan too. After that was very moving. You know, you really felt like how much he felt bad for him. But, you know, we we had a beyond the rim where we talked about this, this scene and Scott and I disagreed adamantly about 
what or what Sheridan should or should not have done during that scene. And I still think he should have used the gavel and said, you know, fuck off, Londo. We're not doing this right now. And let let Jakar save some face. But and I'll, I'll let Scott talk for himself. But, you know, he felt like Sheridan really didn't have a choice in the matter. But uh, I disagree. Or even when Jakar um, during that the scene just between him and Sheridan, when he sits there and says, the last person I shook hands with like this, I was at war with 24 hours later. That was Jakar saying, don't fuck me over. Let me know I can trust you. Like, or it's it's basically him saying, I'm going to trust you. Don't make me regret it. It's kind of what I took from it. But Ironically, I've, I read both those scenes differently. Obviously, as Kevin alluded to, in terms of the league and the uh, the council, Sheridan has to show a bit of neutrality. Even pointing out that he gave Shakar sanctuary is a fine line. And I will say that, you know, like everything else in Babylon 5, chickens come home to roost. But along with that, to your point, Justin, I read that as Shakar was not even talking to Sheridan at that point. Shakar was talking to himself. He said, the last time this happened to me, we were at war. But because the reason why I say that is after Sheridan leaves, Shakar closes his fist and smiles. Oh, yeah. That was a point right. of hope for Jakar. That was the first time in months that Jakar, basically since he was told by Sheridan, the same guy, will help you with supplies. And he was like, okay, I'll take it. That's all I can get, but I'll take it. It was the same thing here. Jakar finally had a ray of hope. After everything has been done, his family may be dead. The Kari may be dead. He's the only one left. He doesn't know if he's going to be dead tomorrow by a Centauri assassin. But this one guy came forward and said, I've got your back. So I don't think it was Jakar ever telling Sheridan, you better not screw up. It was Jakar saying, thank God or thank Jaquan. Okay. You know what? Fair enough. I get it. Okay. That's just how I read it. Jesse, what do you got? So going back to the the scene where Londo strips him of his ambassadorship, that whole fucking scene pissed me off. Like the whole thing just was infuriating, right? And so what gave what gave Londo the right because they just conquered the world? Is that why they like because mm-hmm. I I don't know, I don't I I guess your know, leadership like, surrendered. He no okay. longer had any position. And in the treaty they signed, they said that the Centauri are now in charge. They are protectorate of the Centauri. So that was the the authority to remove because each world or each people gives their uh, appoints their own ambassador. I get it. Basically, okay. Narn, Narn is now again a colony of the Centauri. Therefore, they have nothing to say in the council. I can't wait to see what happens because this is like <laughs> this is horseshit, and I know that I know somebody's going to get back. I love the allusions here to uh, World War Two and. It's it's interesting that the, when this episode first aired, it was the 50th anniversary of the year. And actually in the UK, this year uh, uh, aired almost exactly on the 50th anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima. And so it's very interesting, a lot of the allusions to World War II. And JMS flat out said in the Usenets, yeah, there's a lot of allusions to World War II. I wasn't just, you know, I didn't stumble into that. So to your point too, Jesse, to the victors go the spoils. It makes sense. Nicole. Another thing I noticed or I thought was really great in that whole scene of the um, meeting of the 
ambassadors and everyone was um, when Jakar was sitting there with his head down, feeling really defeated. Londo was being dick face. Uh, he stands up and he gave that really passionate and like powerful speech. And the last thing he said was, you know, we will be free. And he walks out. And I thought that was like indicative of the fact that he was like, you can do what you want, but we're never going to give up. And it might may take a thousand years. But that speech and that like Blake was talking about the acting earlier, that was awesome. Like that was so powerful and impactful. And then, Scott, something you said, I also noticed that, too, when. Um, Sheridan wants to go see Jakar and I wrote it down and they were talking and, you know, he shook his hand and he said, you know, the last person I shook his hand, I was in, in war with in 24 hours. And then they had a really like solid handshake. And then when he walked out and he was holding like his hand or like and he smiled, I thought, oh, he really does trust Sheridan. And he like that's what I was thinking. Like I was thinking he really does trust him and he really feels like he could take his word. And yeah, it just it was um it was wholesome and it was almost like sweet to me when I noticed that um, I wrote that down. I said, sweet question mark, wholesome, <laughs> you know, um, but I thought like it was kind of a nice way to end a really shit situation. Again, more good writing. Um, but I also kind of took it that way where maybe he was relieved or hopeful or happy or just he felt like he was seen and he and he had somebody on his on his side. Shakar is in the middle of a dark ocean drowning and the one guy throws out a, a life preserve for him. And that's what that is. And then he realizes, okay, we're not done yet. Can we switch to Londo? Sure. And being a wanker. One of the things I noticed is when he's looking at what is being done to the Narn homeworld, and he almost looks like he might feel a little bit bad, but it feels more like he feels bad for himself because you know, this is going to get blamed on him. He actually seemed hurt when he came back and Garibaldi's standing there as like, I have security for you. And the tone of his voice is like, I have security for you, but I wish I didn't because you need to get fucked up right now. <laughs> like he actually seemed way more hurt by Garibaldi being beyond angry at him and not even wanting to talk to him than he did about seeing the destruction he ordered. What Someone who he expect? considered a close friend. Yeah. yeah I thought, is I now just cold. Realized, is now just cold at him. Yeah, that might be the point where he realizes just how much he fucked up, but what a, it's too late now. He no, I caught sooner. Yeah, I caught that too. And I wrote down, I said, ooh, Garibaldi's pissed. <laughs> but I feel like um his it was almost like uh completely you know, like he was a stranger. Oh, we have secured security for you. Okay, bye. You know, like it, there was no emotion. There was no empathy. He let him know, fuck you, bro. Like you hit the nail on the head of that. And again, this was alluded to. JMS never throws anything out at you. Remember the bar scene where Londo sat there waiting for his friend to arrive. And yep. his friend never arrived. He's losing everybody. Nicole. I do want to point out one thing. This is so minuscule and stupid, but it was so badass when the riot started between the Narts and the Centauri and like the bar area. One of those Centauri did this wicked jump kick spin. <laughs> it was so badass. Like I wrote it down and I highlighted it. I was like, badass Centauri spin jump kick thing. And that was epic. But also, too, it was like 
I knew the minute that that news report went on, all hell was going to break loose. I just didn't think it would be like that extreme of a fight. And then all of a sudden this guy's doing spinning jump kicks and like it was wild. Like it just went from zero to 100 real quick, but had to point out that badass kick. Jesse. So as the head of security, I had to lock that motherfucker down before that announcement ever even came out. Cause I was, I was watching it and they're like, yeah, we've got it set to go as soon as, you know, as soon as it airs. And I'm like, why are you waiting for that? I would lock it down, tell everybody to go to their quarters and call it a day because that you, they knew it was coming and it happened. So I was like, mm, they could have got ahead of that one, but they didn't. Could they lock it down without people understanding why? I thought that was kind of why they waited. I mean, yeah, it would have been smart if they had been like dispersed now, but was it Jesse? If the last three years have taught us anything, they couldn't shut down the fucking Walmart without people going batshit. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, is the is the you know the the captain of the ship? I mean, I think I would think that he would have the ability to do anything he needed to do for the best of the ship. I mean, you're right. Well, but people he was down slumming it on the planet. He wasn't even there. You said what? He wasn't even there for that because that was Ivanova doing all that. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, she's yeah. second in command. I mean, I would, like, when, you know, captain is away. Mm-hmm. So I would think that they would be able to do it. I don't know. I mean, clearly they didn't, but it was, they even said it was going to happen and then it happened. So I mean, yeah. I get it. Like, I mean, I kind of took that as they were getting ready to mobilize for what they knew was coming. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of took it as like maybe the broadcast hit sooner than they were really. Got it. Yeah. That's, uh, that's know, what I was. Speculation. Right. That's kind of what I was thinking, too, is they were planning to go through it. They, you know, they leaked it or whatever. I thought it was a good Dr. Franklin episode because he took Jakar aside and was like, you know, hey, I just want to give you a heads up about this information. I don't necessarily know what it means, but it's definitely different and you should probably know about it. So here's a question for especially some of the newbies, because. Franklin has not been a favorite character at the start of this season or even coming out of last season. So are any of you starting to change your minds on Franklin as a character now that we're towards the end of season two uh, compared to what we saw first season, even start of second season? I've always liked Franklin. I thought he was endearingly problematic in some ways, (laughs) but I've always liked him, but I feel like he's had his flaws in his moments, but I definitely feel like he's ramping up and like the last couple episodes, especially, I think he's taken a turn to the less creepy and problematic and the more awesome. But I will say I've always liked him from the start. So, but I'm liking him even more now. Jesse. I think I'm just waiting for him to do more creepy shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like he, he was so, I don't know. He was so inappropriate and so creepy sometimes in the first season. So I'm just like, I don't know. I have hope. I don't hate him. I never hated him. I just, um, I just wait for him to be inappropriate. I mean, he's clearly been much better this season. I feel like I remember saying that I was, I hoped it was him that was the main character that died, (laughs) but I don't hate him. Look, I just don't, I just hate him more than I hate the other characters. I don't know. I don't hate him. I just hate him more. Yeah, the other characters. I hated Ivanova for the entire like first half of the first season. So, listen, I'm fickle. I change my opinion quickly. It's fine. This is true. Andrew, what do you got? No, I was I was called always kind of uh indifferent about Dr. Franklin, but uh yeah, I started liking him like episodes ago. 
you guys just didn't understand that Dr. Franklin's not on the Narn side or the Mimbari side or the Centauri side. He's on the side of life. <laughs> when did Franklin become Delenn? Yeah. And inappropriate touching. He's on the side of inappropriate touching. <laughs> I, I think, think I think whole I started with patience. Then <clears throat> I, th- I think I started liking Franklin when during the Cats of the Cradle episode with his father. I think that's when I finally started coming around to him. But I don't dislike him now. I think he's a moral, even though he does some morally incorrect things from time to time. I think overall he, he's kind of a moral fixture among the command staff. So okay. Changing the subject slightly just because you reminded me of this. So a couple episodes ago, we had to point out the fact that like nobody bothered to clue Sheridan in to the fact that there was like a mysterious previous version of Babylon 4 that just sometimes appeared and disappeared like right next to their own station. So this time, Drawl appears to him in his room and he's like, oh, hey, Drawl. <laughs> so somebody obviously clued him <laughs> into something about what was happening on the planet down below. So that well, was... he said he read the reports. So. Oh, so they finally shared the reports with them. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They said, oops, uh, we probably should give this guy a download cause, or something. Because I kind of wondered, you know, if he's going to come out of there and be like, damn it, Ivanova, like what else? And they're all going to like trade uncomfortable looks and be like, well, OK, so there's this device down below that like steals your life, and gives it to someone else. And they have a big ass <laughs> ray gun. <laughs> <laughs> see Emily the whole they thing actually... that cuts through a few fl- few decks of the station you know there's some shit that's happened <laughs> Emily they actually recorded their reports and they gave him a copy of the reports oh that God. they always have does that happen because I don't feel like it does <laughs> okay so we're going to take up a collection for a plane ticket so that uh, Emily can fly down to Missouri and kick <laughs> Scott's ass now. oh I can wait till he moves back for our audio <laughs> for our audio listeners Emily did just give Scott not one but two birds over video so not the first time and not the last time oh she definitely not the last time <laughs> probably not the last time tonight we don't that's know true. that's true <laughs> thoroughly any other narrative before we go into questions predictions guys you guys want to talk about zathras i was just gonna yeah. ask so say, the call hasn't shipped anybody yet so go well, ahead zathras <laughs> you're gonna get shipped with ship zathras <laughs> to somebody please my well yeah. my question was refresh my memory zathras was i'm getting him confused with the guy who previously ran the rig and then the guy who was on on b4 he's the guy who, who was zathras i'm like before no one that's what I thought. Before. No before. one listens to Zathras. He was, he was the cat man on B4. Right. And not he was the, the one he's, that. He's not the one. Not the he's one. He's not the one. Yeah. He's the one Future Sinclair saved. I thought so, but I wasn't sure. And I didn't want to speak on anything until I confirmed that. And I didn't want to Google it because I didn't want to get yelled at. Good girl. Okay. With and, that. Oh. <laughs> oh, never mind. Nicole has something else to say. Sorry. Even though she fucking muted. Go ahead, Nicole. All right. Then I was going to say, so Zathras is helping run the machine is what I gathered. What Drawl said. Did I hear that correctly? He said there's other people down here with me running this. So just Zathras. Right. So who the fuck is down there? Like, how did Zathras get off of before to there? Like that really like threw me for a loop. Draw mentioned a- having access to some of Sinclair's information that Sinclair hadn't told other people about. So He's got connections and abilities. Well, here's a question just to get you all newbies doing with your tinfoil hats is you've got a guy in a machine that has access to all of space and time and he's yelling, where's Zathras? So he wasn't necessarily on the planet. 
Yeah. In that moment. Or when is Zathras? It's. Where is um, Damn it, Blake. How is Zathras? They'll stew on that for a while. So anyway, with Elvis. Elvis is down there also. Tupac. Elvis, Ironically, Tupac, I'm just uh, I'm going to throw out this spoiler. Just, I'm going to throw out this spoiler right now. We will 100% see Elvis in Babylon 5. The end. Thomas? And that's not even a joke. I am serious. We will see Elvis in Babylon 5. Yeah, is that the other shit Babylon. episode that we're waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> the, the one season five episode that wasn't written by JMS. JMS. If I remember right, it's actually a pretty fucking good episode. I'm just saying. Yeah. Elvis does appear. Neil Gaiman doesn't strike me as an Elvis fan, but I could be wrong. Let's go ahead and go into questions and predictions. Again, for those who are just joining us, the newbies have not watched past The Long Twilight Struggle. So they're going to ask any questions that they have lingering and then also give us any predictions of what they think is going to happen next. We will then jettison them out the airlock and answer those questions and predictions right after the credits. So let's go ahead and go to Andrew first. Questions and predictions. Two questions. First, what do Zathras and Drawl have to do with each other? And the second question, what help will uh, Drawl be able to offer? One prediction, Jakar and Londo will remain enemies throughout the rest of the show. Emily, questions, predictions. All right. Well, I have two predictions and seven questions. I think seven since one actually got answered. Are you ready? So prediction, (laughs) I guess it's a prediction or an assumption Drawl is assisting Sinclair with his time hopping, but I don't think we'll actually get to see him again since the actor who played Sinclair had health issues. But I think he was the one helping Sinclair get to B4. Uh, The murder spider ships are biological or organic, similar to Kasha's, because we actually saw one of them got hit in the fight scene and it looked like it lost a limb. And it sounded like there might have been a pain response. Right for a question? Let's see. Was the machine that Drawl is using built by the first ones? Basically, who built the machine? Thanks for the clarification. I love it. (laughs) Yep. Does Londo actually feel any remorse for his actions, like having the shadows attack Narn, or the absolute ludicrous surrender demands that he made on behalf of his government? Like, does he feel bad for being that kind of raging asshole. What are the shadows trying to protect other than their region of space? Is it something beyond just their little region? Because, I mean, they're getting involved in shit and attacking people, so why are they doing this if they're not protecting anything? Um, Is the Great Council going to try to avoid working with the humans to fight the shadows since they tried to interfere with Dylan's prophecy? Because they tried to keep her on the council and prevent her from continuing her work with the humans. Um, Trust issues. Trust issues. Yes, I have so many. And this is a great show for me to watch and express them. Um, Is Zathras and his species, I guess, from the neighboring planet withdrawal? Like, where do they come from? (laughs) Where did he originate? I must know. I must know his origins. Let's see. You answered the question about the mass driver, so that's great. Um, is Zathras a ranger? Is he considered a ranger, or is he just like a little gopher for draw? No one appreciates Zathras. Nobody. <laughs> I Last do. Am, I am. I am looking forward to the Chris Nolan movie Zathras Begins, though. All right. Last question. How long has Delin been a ranger? So many questions. I will answer that one right now because you saw it on TV. 
And that is when Sinclair informed her of the Rangers. Remember the hello old friend that he sent to Garibaldi and Delenn? Oh. That's when she found out it's, about the Rangers. I feel like that's something she might have, she should have been maybe aware of earlier than that. And I don't know. Yeah, that doesn't seem, that doesn't. Sorry if it doesn't compute with you, but that's what it I'm just saying. It doesn't feel right, okay? It just doesn't Sorry. feel right. Maybe I'm trying to stop you from fulfilling your prophecy. You would. <laughs> I'm done. Well, good. Thank you. You're welcome. Justin, questions, predictions. Okay. Question. Will being under political asylum on B5 actually protect Jakar from anything? Will Londo or anybody still be able to kind of get at him a little bit? Uh, then question number two. What kind of further genocide will we see against the Narn people? on behalf of Zatari, and how are they going to kind of make it look like it's they're just protecting themselves or it's all for the good of the Narn by that they're wiping all these people out. Uh, predictions. Londo will take out Rifa eventually. I'm going to put my foot down on that now. Prediction number two, we will definitely, I think, see more of Zathras. Uh, prediction number three, more and more rangers will come to Babylon 5, and I think the planet will actually become a de facto base for the operations of the rangers and then did you mean station or did you actually mean planet planet the planet so epsilon three will be the stationary for the rangers correct got it and then my last prediction earth gov and night watch will notice sheridan's actions and will actually either infiltrate the rangers if they have not already there's way too many people now involved in this secret to have a state secret for long especially if either Zach or Londo find out about the Rangers. EarthGov's going to find out, and they're going to get involved in that shit. Okay. That's it. Cool. Nicole, questions, predictions? I would say, question-wise, I just want to know more about Zathras. Like, what's the connection with Zathras and Drawl and Epsilon 3? And is he physically there, or is it just a mental connection since Drawl can go into people's minds, essentially, or come to them as a vision? Um, I was really interested to know more about that. Um, also, Justin kind of mentioned it, but um, Jakar and his safety, like basically at this point, the Centauri view him as like almost like he's got like a warrant for his arrest. You know what I mean? So if he leaves Babylon 5, is he going to be like, say, if he goes somewhere off the station, is he going to get like nabbed or something? Like, because they want to bring him back. Um, and then I guess, you know, prediction wise, I think that um, we're going to see more of the the Rangers showing up uh, kind of like I don't think Epsilon three will be the staging area. I think Babylon five is going to be like the main area for the um, for the Rangers. And that's going to be kind of like their starting point. Um, so I think that, yes, it is neutral territory, but that's also going to be like Ranger station, essentially. And we're just going to kind of see that grow. And I just think that this, I guess, another prediction would be that Sheridan is kind of like really coming to his own. And we're going to see a lot more from him and also Delenn, too. It seems like she's taking more of a leadership role as well. So I think we're going to see a lot more from them in the next couple episodes and seasons as well. And Jesse, questions, predictions. How long do we have to wait till we see Jakar absolutely like MMA beat the dog shit out of Londo. Like I, I need to see some no boxing gloves type ass whooping from Forever. one to the other. Ever. <laughs> I want to see Londo do some Centauri ballerina fighting. 
<laughs> because it's not the first time we've seen that Centauri weird jump kick thing. Can can you mm-hmm. just can you just imagine though that uh, you know Londo gets into like his sword fighting stance and does a jump kick and Descartes oh, yeah. just wails the shit out of him. Yes. Stop. Oh, it's like oh. that. It's like that Indiana Jones scene where the guy's going crazy with the sword and then Indiana Jones just pulls out the pistol and shoots him. You've, like that's going to be Jakar versus Londo. No way. You've got it all wrong. We've seen the 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 Narn get their asses kicked repeatedly. They look tough, but they actually all have glass jaws. Meanwhile, <laughs> we know nothing about their their anatomy. Centauri's have six dicks and they have huge kangaroo-like leg muscles. <laughs> this is true because the one time that we saw Narn's fight, they did like the the crane fighting style, like nah, yeah. And every time a Centauri gets into a tussle, the first thing they do is fucking leap into the air. <laughs> I'm serious. It's not the first time we've seen it. Centauri so what you're saying games. is, I'm never gonna get to see fucking Jakar beat the shit out of Londo. Okay. No, Thank we're you. just giving you shit. We're not gonna tell you one way or the other, <laughs> but we have to have fun with this. Thank you for answering my question. I have no predictions. Even if he can't, if even if he kicks his ass, he can't kill him because if he kills him, then 500 Narn will be killed as a penalty. I'm glad somebody brought that up. You guys mentioned the Londo speech and the Sheridan speech and everything else, but no one talked about the escalation. If one Centauri is killed by a Narn, 500 Narns are going to be murdered. Mm-hmm. And they the family. And they will and ensure the, the 500 family. include yeah. the family. Mm-hmm. That was so fucked up when I, I wrote that down. I was like, that's fucked. Because they're trying to commit genocide. Well, and that has basis in Earth history. I mean, that happened in World War II. Justin could probably talk at length about that particular topic. That's not an invitation, by the way. <laughs> Just saying that you could do so. Yes, yeah. I can. That's such a dramatic escalation. Like, if you're in Jakar's seat, do you even take it seriously? Like, If you don't do take it, it seriously and the Centauri decide that they were going to do it, then... Yeah, I mean, I guess. I guess it, it was more to the point of, obviously, they're not joking, but it's just like, they're, they're bastards. And they're killing everybody wholesale anyway. They're not going to wait for one Centauri to die. They're going to find any Centauri that dies. They're going to use it as an excuse to kill more Narn. Correct. Like it's 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 not going to be a cause and effect. Yeah, it's going to be a kangaroo court, and it's just going to be just as I said earlier in my questions. It's it's going to be more genocide against the Narns. Like it's Mm -hmm. it's not. They're going to do it regardless. We'll go ahead and send our newbies out the door. And we will, after the credits, come back with a spoiler conversation about all these questions and predictions. So remember, next week we'll be here again to talk about Comes the Inquisitor. You're like, I'm going to come. And, uh, and Inquisit. And again, in three weeks, so the 21st of May, we will be having our season two live wrap-up in order to be involved in that live wrap-up because we will involve the audience make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel and click that notify button so you know when we're going live and for our podcast listeners we will release the recap at the normal time normal bat channel normal bat station all that good stuff so until next week when we talk about comes the inquisitor i'm gonna come (laughs) thank you (laughs) god damn I've been Scott, and with me has been Emily, Justin, Blake, Kevin, Nicole, Andrew, Jesse, and Mike. And don't forget to like, subscribe, click all the buttons except for the down arrow. Make sure you leave a review, all that stuff, and come join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to join the conversation. 
see you next week. Unless you want to be spoiled, then see you in a minute and a half. Bye. Bye. We did it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> we did it. Sound like a bunch of Narn in a prison camp. We, we did it. Oh, God. I seriously uh, wanted to, like, throw something at the TV. I was so angry. Same. Scott has that effect on most people. Yes. Let's <laughs> see. Anybody on this podcast not flip Scott the bird yet? Anyone? Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to and watch this podcast at anchor.fm slash gray 17 podcast or youtube.com at gray 17 podcast. We want to hear from you. So join the conversation at Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Patreon. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review where you are listening to or watching this podcast. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and the podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. Again, this is a spoiler section, so if you have not watched past The Long Twilight Struggle, or if you can't remember what happens, this is not the section for you. For everyone else, we'll go ahead and dive into the questions and predictions we got from our newbies. So all, the first question is, are we going to start seeing Narns be Rangers? Well, that depends. Are we going to consider that Legend of the Rangers actually exists, or are was, we just going to pretend that never happened? I was thinking the same thing. There is a Ranger Narn in Legends of the Rangers, but I don't even know if we're going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I will say to uh, that point, though, uh, the Narn do get a new job, but not uh, the Rangers. Yeah, as become, as I flipped that. Because yeah. they become station security um, when Earth does the breakaway and Nightwatch tries to take over and they lock them all in the cargo bay. Uh, Narns take over security on the station. And they're they used a as a red job. herring, and then it, exactly the red herring ends up happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's pretty good. I, I love those two episodes. I can't wait to do those. We get all Talon all the time, so it's even better. I, I've kind of combined some of our Zathri questions. Much like there's multiple Zathruses, there's multiple questions. So here we go. I'm just going to read through them all, and we can answer them all. What do Zathrus and Drawl have to do with each other? What does Zathrus offer to help Drawl with? Is Zathras physically on Epsilon 3 or is he a projection? Because Nicole is smoking doobies or something. And where does Zathras come from? Well, I guess it depends on which Zathras you're talking about. Exactly. Is it Zathras, yeah. Zathras, or Zathras? Or Zathras. But he is definitely there. That's not a thing. Now, what does he have to withdraw? I think he dust draw every so often. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, somebody's got to spritz him with some lotion or something once in a while to keep him fresh just empty his chamber pot or no one appreciates Zathras oh he's got to have a stadium pro or something <laughs> disgusting <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's the maintenance man down there yeah that's the key of it the the Zathras clan or brotherhood or whatever you want to call it is the main keepers of the great machine they didn't make the great machine which is another question we have here in a little bit but they're the ones that keep it 
because Draw just kind of, you know, is the battery. It's the operating system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need the IT crew of Zathras to handle it. And what does Zathras offer as help? Well, again, he's the cleaning crew, but one of them will be sent to B4 to help with the transition through time. But we aren't there yet. Along that same lines, the great machine, who built it? And was it the first ones? I think they said no at one point, that it was not the first ones, but it is old. Yeah, it's definitely old. It was not the Varns, who was the original maintainer of the machine. They found it like everybody else. It wasn't Zathras's whatever. It was somebody else. Now, JMS has never really said what they would be. He did say that at a time he was toying with the idea that the great machine would have been another made-for-TV movie with TNT or whomever. So I think he's been kind of keeping that one in his back pocket in case he could ever use it. But we just don't know. Moving on to Londo and his fun. Does Londo feel any remorse? He probably feels a little, but it doesn't make much difference. He he's he will later, but at this point, probably a little, but not a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think Londo fluctuates back and forth. He's he's accepted his role as the great the great tool that brings the Centauri back to their prime. And I think he is fully aware that it comes at the expense of his own soul. And I don't think he necessarily doesn't feel remorse about it. I just think it's it's not lasting. Yeah. And I, I think it's cute. I think Nicole did it this time. Every time somebody's like, oh, this is it. This is where Londo kind of felt like he screwed up. But yeah, he keeps falling into the same damn traps every yeah. single time. Even if he feels remorse, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because I mean, he's still going to be making the same damn mistakes every single time. He walked into the chamber to talk to Reef, and he's like, straight up front, this has already cost me one of my best friends. What's next? You know, like, I'm ready to do the next the next awful thing that I know is going to suck. You know, and I brought I brought it up the uh, did he summon the shadows or did Reefa? We never actually find out. I was just curious to see what the newbies had to say about it. No, why this actually brings up some good questions, because I don't know why anybody assumed that Reefa had direct connection to morden but at the same time i have to ask myself why doesn't why why does morden only go through londo oh, because Reefa actually, seems like a much more willing stooge morden actually flat out said the last time we saw him that he's working with Rifa. did he yeah he said that we'll just go talk to Rifa. he's already been working with us and he's more i think he okay. said he's more he's more open to us or something more that conducive or whatever makes sense. He's, he said it to veer Okay, that does okay. That does change my perspective on that whole scene and whether or not it was a trap or not. Because I, up until this point, was under, very much under the impression that the shadows only responded to Lando. No, I don't know if it was just an empty threat to Veer because Arifa obviously we don't know because he says you know we need your friends to help out, but Morden flat out says that Rifa seems to be more. I forgot the quote, but more open to working with us anyway. Well, now hold on. Now, was he confirming that he talks to Rifa or merely saying that if Londo doesn't play ball, they'll go talk to Rifa? Well, yeah, that's what I meant. I don't know if it was an empty yeah. threat or if he was just being, you know, telling him what's actually going on. We don't really know. Okay, because the, 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 the latter situation, I do remember thinking in that episode. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's very, it's open to interpretation. Um. Another quick point of order, I guess, and this is again something I guess I could have brought up in the, the first half, but somebody in the in the first impressions made a remark about Lando giving his big demand speech on B five and seeming remorseful. And at no point to me during that speech did he seem remorseful. Not <laughs> quite so the opposite. 
It's not during the spe- his speech, but when you wa- watch his facial expressions when Jakar is giving okay. his at the end, I think that's what they meant because there are some facial expressions there that it's the weight of it is landing on Londo that he knows where this leads. So moving on, how long do we have to wait until Jakar beats the shit out of Londo? It's about halfway through season three when Jakar uses the uh, dust and goes after Londo, which is the other fantastic scene between the two. A little earlier than that. Yeah, it's... it's that was right after the breakaway. First third. It's before uh, the breakaway. Yeah, first, so before, what was after? It's before the breakaway because okay. he's in it's he's in jail when the breakaway happens and that's right Garibaldi they let him comes out. and gets him and lets him yeah. out and says you better get the heck out of dodge because we got some shit going down mm-hmm. that's right and of course at the end of the day shakar will kill londo but i don't think that's beating the shit out of him speaking of shakar being in prison we'll be in under political asylum protect shakar and if Jakar leaves b5 will he be arrested Yes and yes. And he will. And we will see that. And he will be told when he leaves B5, if you leave, you will get captured. And he does get captured when he leaves. Well, he has that little trip, though, before he gets captured. That's, That's true. true. When when he tells the Rangers he needs to get to Narn and be about, you know, yay by yay. <laughs> but that what? was kind of with Londo's sort of blessing, though. If he hadn't had that, he probably would have gotten arrested on that that incident. Correct. That's true. That's true. What further genocide will we see against the Narn? Oh boy, it's going to be a long struggle for them. Would you say it would be a Would you say it'd be a twilight struggle? Yes, I would. Okay. Okay. I mean, we're going to see. I mean, the Narn are never truly going to come back from this. We're going to see a lot of good action from the Narn again, them taking over security on B5, them being liberated. But at the end of the day, the Narn are uh, beaten and destroyed people. And we're just going to continue to see that. I just, as they were asking this question, I just envisioned Jakar as the jester in the Emperor's court and that whole thing. Which, of course, turns out fine because Jakar gets to, you know, distract the Emperor and gets him killed. But still, uh, it's just it's terrible what happened to the Narn and it will we will see atrocity after atrocity, which is why I so cathartically love and the rock cried out no hiding place because, oh, it's so well deserved when it happens. Yeah, I mean, the, the Narn homeworld is just absolutely obliterated at this point. I mean, it, it may never be that probably won't ever be the same. Yeah, it's, oh. it's hard to say that there's further genocide. I think the genocide is pretty much done. What you're going to yeah. see now is cruelty. Yes. Yeah, it's yeah. a good way to put it. Salt in the wounds. Agreed. Moving on to the shadows. What are the shadows trying to protect aside from their homeworld? Nothing. They're trying to blow it all up. Exactly. They just want the galaxy to burn. Mm-hmm. Some people just want to watch the world burn. And the rest are Vorlons. <laughs> is the Grey Council trying... I, I swear, Emily has to find somebody who is the evil, maniacal person behind the curtain every time. Is the Grey Council trying to stop Delenn from fulfilling her prophecy? I also no. think this comes up because Emily's doing a rewatch on her own, and she must have came to a Grey Council episode, because the Grey Council has nothing to do with this episode, but right. she still brought it up. <laughs> At least yeah. she's shipping. Um, not yeah. they're not really trying to stop her. They just don't want to deal with her. They think it's all nonsense. Yeah, I mean, to... they, they do their best to uh, you know interfere with with her, and that's why she breaks the council. But some actually help her because they gave her the the one gave her the triluminary. True, and said you may need. But for the rest of the council, like Narun and them, it's 
go to B5, do your little nonsense and just be gone from us. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a, we think this is a joke. We think this is bullshit, but if you want to go over there and do your little, the, the part that's always got me is when she shows up with her own little fleet of white stars. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. it's like talk about government projects under the radar <laughs> well that's the key thing too i mean not only do the warrior cast now have four members of the council it's the religious cast who lost one so the religious cast has no power anymore they are two out of nine so they are just sitting on the sidelines doing nothing one of the guy who gave the triluminary was a member of the religious cast mm. he's got no power moving on to predictions the shadow ships are biological, which we did see this week. The shadow ships merged together and we saw mm-hmm. one kind of get hurt. And I emphasize hurt because they're right. The shadow ships are biological. I'm surprised it took them this long to catch on to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're screaming and all of that. Right. Jakar and Londo will remain enemies. Yes. No. No. <laughs> well, not for, for a quite time. a while they will, but. Not, yeah. not in the end, yes. Well, not even the, I mean, uh, the scene, my favorite scene, and I put it on the Peter interview after we got to the Beyond the Rim section, is right before Londo gets his keeper. And he knows he's getting a keeper. He's been told that. And he has that one t- moment in his quarters or lounge or whatever with Shakar, and Shakar forgives him. He says, I can't forgive your people, but I can forgive you. Mm-hmm. And that's long before he comes up and kill him. I love that well, scene. Well, but even there's the scene on the White Star after Sheridan and Delenn get married yes. and they're sitting there together having a drink. Hey. But you mentioned Jakar killing Londo. I think that's the last act of friendship. Yes, absolutely. 100%. For sure. 100%. You know, that is him doing the last favor to Londo of killing him. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they end up killing each other in that scene, but it's that last act of friendship mm-hmm. to end that. He's putting his friend out of his misery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have a question. Would Veer have gotten a keeper then? That was the intent, I believe, was that the Drac wanted to continue to control the Centauri throughout. So if Londo had died of natural causes and the keeper had an opportunity to, you know, recognize that the Drac would have found the next emperor and gone ahead and give them one. But since Jakar ends it and the keeper doesn't have time to warn anybody that's the end of the line mm, well, i think didn't some of the novels also establish that the rangers stepped in and protected veer until I, they got the i'm gonna get hate mail but i haven't read the novels so thought it was i wouldn't doubt it and of course we do have the keeper that may or may not go to sheridan's kid we know it's in the urn that's all we know eventually londo and rifa will have a confrontation no a bit. Nah, not at all Nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, real quick, according to the novels, uh, Veer led the resistance movement against the Drock that was able to expose them and mm. force them to leave. Excellent. Mm. I love Veer. Veer, the golden emperor of Centauri. Good job, Veer. So I'll do this just to make the editing easy. Eventually, Londo and Rifa will have a confrontation. A little bit. <laughs> They're going to have a little bit of a confrontation, that's right. But at the end of the day... The next question, our prediction is Londo will take out Rifa, and that is somewhat correct, but not at the same time. I mean, he took out a hit on him. Yeah, I mean, it's Londo who metaphorically pulls the trigger, but it's yeah. the Narn who are the bullet. Yeah. And when they beat the ever-loving shit out of Rifa, 
it is a stand up and cheer moment. Again, the rock cried out, no hiding place. And I just love that episode that it's, you've got this gospel performance juxtaposed to mm. just mm. beating the shit out of Reefa. It is just, it is the, the that is when B5 is firing on all cylinders. Mm. Those episodes about, right there. We talk about that episode a lot, but it's for good reason. I can't. That's one of the ones where I would love to be able to show people's uh, people, the newbies reactions. And we're working on something there, but I would love to be able to have the newbies actually be in front of a camera when they watch that scene. It will be beautiful, especially Nicole. I think she will like pump her fists and start yelling. Moving on to Drawl and Sathras again. Drawl is assisting Sinclair with his time hopping. Nailed it. The, the, the great machine is what helps move before to the past. Along with Sinclair. And to that point, we will see more of Zathras. We will. Well, it depends which one. We're gonna we're gonna see Zathras or the Zathrai twice more. We're gonna see them on Epsilon 3, one of them. And we're gonna see War Without End, Zathras. No one listens to Zathras. That was Zathras's brother, Zathras. More and more Rangers will come to B5, and he should have stopped right there. Yep. He should have stopped. <laughs> Just stop. I even I even gave him room to wiggle out, but then he said, "And Epsilon Three will be the staging area." Oops, so close, but yet so far, no one goes on Epsilon Three except for those who are allowed on Epsilon Three, and the Rangers aren't allowed on Epsilon Three. Not to mention, you can't really do much from three miles down except for when you're drawn or it's a good place to hide, though. I mean, yeah, they will have refugees down there though, because that comes up later during the Shadow War that they start letting them put refugees and wounded on uh, mm-hmm. Epsilon Three. But the Rangers are going to be staging from B5 and from the forthcoming White Stars. Yeah, yeah. we'll have that one right. And then finally, Nightwatch and EarthGub will inter- infiltrate the Rangers. No, but that would have been a fun story. Good yeah. Luck with that. Yeah. I do like that we got a couple of mentions, uh, and the, the newbies haven't called it that yet, but the Conspiracy of Light and then the Army of Light is mentioned in this mm-hmm. episode. But that would actually have been a fun little story if the Night Watch had infiltrated the Rangers, but I doubt they would be able to because those dinguses couldn't figure out how to, you know, be like <laughs> a Marcus and understand Mimbari culture as much as the Rangers do. But but Heisenberg infiltrates the Rangers. It's a Breaking Bad reference for those who play the home game. Mm-hmm. Or for those who don't know Breaking Bad, Zordon infiltrates the Rangers. <laughs> the Rangers! <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you guys want to talk about with this episode? Got nothing. Got nothing. I, I have said before, I mean, I think this is one of the best episodes of season two, but my favorite episode of season two is next week. Comes the Inquisitor. I fucking love that episode. Yeah, it's really good. It is that a, is going to be we're gonna to need to get extra tinfoil for that one. Yes. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. Just, Once Justin and a few of them get their heads around yeah. Sebastian and the implications mm. of the Vorlons and that we're gonna need some goddamn pencil. especially when they figure out or when they when it's revealed where he came from yes it's just there, oh man there's so much there it's a tour to the force for uh Bruce Boxleitner and Mira Furlon they just eat yeah. the the scenery left and right and yes at the end you can just call me Jack well and Wayne Alexander's so good in that episode yes. and he plays such a different part later on but it took me I don't know a watch or two to realize that he was the same guy playing Lorianne. I mean they're just so different I don't think I ever noticed until you brought it up like four episodes ago really <laughs> it's just it's such a it's such a different part and he does both of them so well all right well we will talk more about Sebastian a la Jack next week. And then again, uh, we're only two weeks away from, Oh my God, he's never going to let us hear the end of it. 
when Justin finds out that the Vorlons oh, are yeah. angels it's, yeah. in the fall of night. <laughs> We're only two weeks away from Justin just eating it up the entire episode. I'm just, oh, brace yourselves. Oh, yeah. So until next week when we talk about Jack, I've been Scott, and with me has been... Blake, Kevin, and Mike. Please be sure to like, subscribe, leave a review, click on the buttons, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everybody. So much to do, so little time. We must get to work. Zafris! Zafris! Never around when he's needed. Oh, it's a lot better than we usually do. Uh, All right, thumbs up. Ready, guys? Let's or... do this. Leroy Jenkins! Oh, my God, he just ran in. Oh, my God. God damn it, Leroy. It's not my fault. Leroy, you were just stupid as hell. At least I have chicken.